are Locked On Timberwolves, your daily Minnesota Timberwolves podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Wolves podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. My name is Ben Beek and I'm the host of Locked On Wolves. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Today we have a smattering of notes, an update on the potential Delete 8 or I guess non-Orlando bubble and whether or not that is a thing um, as as had been talked about a few weeks ago. A few other quick notes off the top as well that are Wolves related. And then I'd like to do a quick roster overview. I think we'll get through most of it today, if not all of it. Taking a look at what the Wolves depth chart looks like at each position in the coming weeks, I'd like to go player by player, reviewing each of their seasons as a whole, now that we know for sure that the Timberwolves 2019-2020 campaign is over. Just kind of going through each player probably spending a full episode on each player and what also what their outlook is for 2021. Will they be on the roster next year? What's their contract status, et cetera? How valuable are they to the Timberwolves moving forward? What's their trade value? Answer a few of those questions moving forward. So today it's, it's just going to be more of a broad overview of the roster as a whole to kind of start kicking off that conversation here in the coming weeks. First, before we get into that, a quick reminder to please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google, wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at Locked on T-Wolves. That's at Locked on T-Wolves. Don't forget the T. All right. So the possibility of a non-Orlando bubble, of course, we're now not quite a week into gameplay in Orlando. Um, and there's actually, you know, teams are starting to look pretty good. There's been some pretty solid games over the weekend um, and into the first part of this week. Of course, it was... Uh, about a month ago, maybe a little, it was kind of around 4th of July weekend or so, which I guess 4th of July was exactly a month ago. There was some conversation about the possibility of a non-Orlando bubble for teams that were not included. Of course, those eight teams um, that are not in Orlando includes the Timberwolves. Minnesota back in June was talked about as a potential location for that bubble. The Timberwolves had raised their hands so that they were interested in hosting it in Minneapolis, in the Twin Cities. Um, It sounded like about a month ago, the momentum was towards a possible bubble in Chicago. The Timberwolves would be on board with that. Then in recent weeks, we had discussed the news that, that the NBA was looking at allowing teams two weeks, basically not in a full bubble, but they would get two weeks, one of one week to work on things as their own franchise, just themselves. And then the second week, if teams wanted to pair off, the Wolves could you know, the Wolves and the Bulls and the Pistons and the Hornets and the, you know, whoever, I guess the Warriors probably would, would be out. So you'd have another team that wouldn't probably pair up because the Warriors have basically said that they have no interest in such a thing. Um, that seemed to be the way that things were going. Um, and that maybe the Wolves would get at least a couple of weeks in and maybe scrimmage against the likes of the Bulls or the Pistons or the Hornets or the Cavs or something like that. Unfortunately, um, it now is looking less and less likely that something like that's going to happen. Um, There's been a couple of reports to that effect here recently. Um, Sham Strania and Sam Amick of The Athletic are saying that there's basically a growing belief that the second bubble won't happen. They quoted a general manager who was on a Tuesday call with the HGMs and various league officials. The general manager's quote was, there's nothing happening. It's a shame. It's a huge detriment to these eight franchises that were left behind. End quote. The implication is that that's one of those one of the GMs of those eight teams. Of course, uh, the Timberwolves, Warriors, Cavs, Hawks, Bulls, Pistons, Knicks, and Hornets. Um, and even last week, I think was kind of the was when the conversation was regarding the the possibility of these teams pairing off and scrimmaging each other, seeming less and less likely. Of course, with the coronavirus pandemic accelerating in parts of the country that you know a month ago it was it wasn't 
it wasn't accelerating and now it's picked up, unfortunately. Um, and there's been, you know, well, the NBA bubble has gone fairly well in terms of the a very, very low number of positive cases once players actually got to the bubble. Teams are, or at least the league is, is pretty reticent to actually do this, this other bubble. As we talked about previously, the logistics are complicated. You're, you're, I guess it's less teams, so you're not doubling the number of players, but you're essentially doubling your risk if you're the NBA by creating a second bubble. If they were to do the full bubble model, there's also little to no revenue. Um, Likely the NBA would lose money on this because you're not going to be able to, you don't want the TV rights necessarily um, to pull away from the existing NBA um, that's happening, the bubble that's happening. Even a regional TV, it'd probably be modest. viewership, modest interest uh, on a national level, you're not going to sell those TV rights. So I, I don't see the upside in it for the, on the NBA's level. And for that reason, I understand why it's not happening. If you're the Timberwolves or one of the, or the other seven teams, it, it really is a, is a huge disadvantage to not have any sort of a get together, a sanctioned get together as a team. Remember, there are some players working individually at the facility, but the likes of Carl Anthony Towns, D'Angelo Russell aren't there. These guys aren't actually allowed to really work together so they can work out individually near each other. I think there's a limit, something like three guys on the court or three guys in the facility at the same time, something along those lines where these aren't organized activities. It's not Ryan Saunders putting the team through drills. It's not David Vanterpool, you know, running uh, defensive schemes and and explaining these guys, uh, explaining the schemes to these guys and getting them on the court, running up and down. Those things aren't happening. And you look at some of these other teams, the young players on the San Antonio Spurs, I mean, the Phoenix Suns, the Brooklyn Nets, which is at this point, I guess, mostly... (laughs) random, you know, veterans and stuff like that. I guess there's, you've got Karis Levert. There's a few guys there, but I mean, they're suddenly playing well. Some of these younger teams that are getting the opportunity to gel together and play in real live NBA game action, um, that's a huge advantage for them. And the Timberwolves are going to be behind in the development of their young players and also the gelling and the cohesion of, of a roster, um, you know, that, that is, was largely turned over 14 games before the end of what was ultimately the end of the season and that hiatus. So um, there was also a couple of tweets by Bobby Marks, who of course is a longtime executive with the Brooklyn Nets um, and, and Marks said, uh, I'll read his tweet verbatim. His tweet was three games into the seeding games. And I already feel like there's a huge player development advantage for teams like Phoenix, Washington, San Antonio versus the eight teams that weren't invited. Hard to replicate game action in empty gym a month of individual team workouts, three scrimmages, plus eight seeding games with practice in between. The eight non-Orlando teams are severely limited on what they can do. Um, so don't take it from me. Take it from Bobby Marks, who ran a team and uh, and is seen, you know, it could tell you, based on his experience, what a big disadvantage it is to not have the ability to get guys together, get them, you know, on the court together, get them with your coaching staff, get them in your program. And now the Wolves are going to go, I mean, potentially from March until November with these guys not all being together. That's eight months and a lot longer than most off seasons would ever, you know, more than twice as long as an off season would typically last. Um, So clearly a disadvantage and something to, to monitor. And I'm sure the NBA will have to do something hopefully to rectify the situation to, to, uh, you know, help these, these eight teams that by definition, they're the teams that that need the help, right? They're the teams that need the practice of the teams that have young players that need the reps uh, because they are the bottom eight teams in the league. So it seems to be pretty imbalanced and that's becoming more apparent um, as you watch some of these young teams gel, as Bobby Marks pointed out. All right. One other quick note before we get into the roster breakdown that I want to do, just kind of an, an interesting note. Um, Hank Norell announced his retirement. This is reported on Sportondo, um, 
which I would guess that's how you say that, by Emiliano Karchiev Sportando, reported that Hank Norell announced his retirement. Of course, he was the Dutch big man, selected in 2009 by the Timberwolves, 47th overall. You may remember that as a... Well, the 2009 draft should stick out in your head. That was the uh, Ricky Rubio draft, which, of course, we've talked about extensively on this podcast. The Wolves had a couple of second round picks, the middle of the second round that they'd gotten from Miami the year prior. And they took Nick Calathis with the first pick of the second round. Well, not the first pick of the second round, their first pick. So 45th overall, they traded him. And then they kept 47, which is Norell. He never came over. He's now 32 because of extensive um, knee injuries. He... uh, he is retiring at a relatively young age. He never at any point really appeared as though he was about to come over to the, to the, uh, to the U S to play in the NBA. But at any rate, there's one player that the wolves actually still had rights to who is now retiring. Um, so I guess file that one away in case anybody ever wants to talk about players that the wolves have rights to overseas. Norell is no longer an active player. All right. Now, before we get into the roster overview that I'd like to go through, Let's talk about our friends at CBDMD. It doesn't matter if you're a professional athlete, a stay-at-home parent, or you spend eight hours a day in an uncomfortable office chair, everyone needs support to make it through the day. Luckily, our friends at CBDMD have an amazing duo that can help you relax, regroup, and recharge when life gets chaotic. CBD Freeze with Menthol is an award-winning product that offers instant cooling relief for muscles and joints in a convenient and easy-to-use roller or shareable squeeze tube. CBD Recover combines CBD with inflammation-fighting compounds like Arnica and vitamin B6 to give you the support you need where it matters most. And to make it even easier to try this amazing duo of topicals and everything else CBDMD has to offer, they're offering all our listeners 25% off your next order when you use the promo code NBA at checkout. Once again, that's CBDMD.com, promo code NBA for 25% off your purchase of superior CBD oil products from CBD. MD. All right, let's talk through the Wolves depth chart. So I'd like to go position by position. I'm not going to go traditional point guard, shooting guard, small forward, power forward, center, because those aren't really the positions anymore. So we're mostly going to go point guard, wing, big. Um, There's a couple of guys who I think kind of are mixes between wings and bigs and are mostly going to play the four, but could also play some three, might even appear at the five. So we'll talk through those guys separately. But I want to kind of set the stage for the next few shows where we do each player's individual player capsule and just kind of lay out what things look like on the roster right now. So we're going to go position by position, starting with point guard. Obviously, D'Angelo Russell was acquired at the trade deadline for the Timberwolves. He's the starting point guard of the future. He's got three more years on his contract, and he's the guy. He's only played one game with Carl Anthony Towns. He played 12 games in a Timberwolves uniform so far this year. Um, again, I, I'm not going to get too deep into each player's individual stats from the season because we're going to do that. We're going to do one show on each player uh, for most of the roster here in the coming days and weeks. So I don't want to get too deep into it. But basically, I mean, Russell's going to be the second option on offense. He's going to be the primary ball handler for this team um, unless the Wolves were to do something like draft Alonzo Ball and move Russell off into a little bit more of an off-the-ball role into a, a you know, a scoring role where he's the secondary playmaker. That's possible, but as the roster is currently constructed and barring a surprise, D'Angelo Russell is your primary ball handler. He's your second scoring option. He is a high volume, you know, slightly above average three-point shooter who's going to um, score from really all areas of the floor. If you could get to the free throw line a little bit more often, that would be great. Um, Jordan McLaughlin's his backup currently. 
Uh, the Wolves entered last year with Jeff Teague and Shabazz Napier as their, as their point guards. Both guys were on expiring deals. Both guys were traded prior to the deadline. Teague back in January, Napier closer to the deadline. And McLaughlin was a two-way point guard who didn't look good early in the season when he got his chance in Minnesota. But because of his summer league performance last year and also how he played um, it, with the Iowa Wolves of the G League when he was down there um, in Des Moines, he got the opportunity to be the primary backup and then ultimately the the primary starter on the stretch of the season, uh, or at least I should say after, um, you know, well, the Wolves were waiting for Russell then when Russell was, was dinged up a little bit when he first came over, but McLaughlin saw a few starts and he was a solid backup point guard was actually a really nice change of pace to D'Angelo Russell. He does some of the same things well in that he navigates the pick and roll, pick and roll well. Um, but he's more of a, of a, you know, one step, get past you, try and dart to the rim on a straight line and score at the in the paint, maybe draw a foul. He can hit an open three, but he's not a high usage guy. So Russell's not big on actually getting all the way to the rim and trying to score. McLaughlin can do that. Russell's going to look for his own shot. McLaughlin's only really going to shoot a jumper if he's open, but he made it at an acceptable clip last year from beyond the arc that what he does works. And if he's coming off the bench as the backup point guard and maybe initiating the offense, but he's not trying to score too much and you're relying on somebody else on that second unit, whether it's a Jarrett Culver or somebody that they draft this year, or um, maybe a Jake Lehman or somebody to score more with the second unit, then McLaughlin can be content to get to the rim, score in transition, orchestrate the offense in the pick and roll, and you know knock down open jumpers when he gets the opportunity. Um, so I think the Wolves are fairly set at point guard unless they get the opportunity to draft somebody maybe with their second, you know, that Nets pick that it certainly looks like they're going to get now based on Brooklyn's start um, so far in the NBA bubble in Orlando. Um, If the Wolves get a rookie that they feel like profiles as a great backup point guard moving forward, maybe they move on from McLaughlin. As of now, they they have a qualifying, they have a cap hold on a qualifying offer of about a million and a half for next year. I'd expect him to be back. And I think given that the Wolves trusted him enough um, and, and wanted to see him play this year, I think it's very likely they see him as their backup point guard next year and maybe given more minutes, maybe he's not a fit long-term, but this team's not going into next year expecting to contend for a title and they have a, they'll give him some runway, I think, to try and win that job. Even if they draft somebody, you know, to potentially be the backup point guard of the future, I guess, which sounds ridiculous, but you know, they have to evaluate every roster spot. So I think McLaughlin, the Wolves are comfortable with him as their backup point guard next year, especially at minimal cost. So I would expect him to be back and to be the primary backup there. The other guy that can see minutes handling the ball and and has served as a backup at times there um, and even started there a couple times earlier in the season is Jarrett Culver, of course, last year's rookie, six overall pick in the draft. Um, he is uh, he is somebody who can initiate the offense. It was a little bit rocky and he's obviously not the scorer that, of course, not what DeAndre Russell is. He's not as good of a shooter as McLaughlin, but he can get into the paint. He can score in transition. He can pass the ball a little bit, has decent instincts offensively. So he's kind of the de facto third guy there that would initiate the offense. Um, and that's the point guard position. One potential area for upgrade would be backup point guard if they do think they can get better than what McLaughlin is. Um, but I think they're pretty well set there. Obviously, they'll need to add a third guard. So that's probably a veteran in free agency. Maybe it's a second round pick, something like that. Um, that's their third string point guard. On the wing, M- Malik Beasley is the uh, is a restricted free agent, and he ideally would be the starter next year. He was the starter after the Wolves acquired him, played 14 games in a Timberwolves uniform. Uh, Beasley very well could be a 20-point-a-game scorer for the Timberwolves if given the opportunity. The question is, will he defend enough, and will he 
be able to score enough, not in transition, um, to, to hold down the number two spot? Will he just be, you know, he's already such a good, a three point shooter, a great three point shooter in transition, good at the rim and, uh, in transition. Um, and, and there's so much upside to his game still remaining because he didn't get a lot of opportunity to show it in Denver. Um, that if the wolves can keep him on a in restricted free agency, I think he's the starter at the two talked about this a week or two ago that John Hollinger on the Hollinger and Duncan podcast. And also at the athletic Hollinger doesn't think Beasley's a starting two. He thinks he's more of a third guard, kind of a bench scorer, sixth or seventh man type provide an instant offense. He thinks his size struggles on defense and lack of ability to get to the rim off the dribble. He doesn't think that profiles as a starting two. I think those things can develop and I do think he'll be good enough um, to, to be a starting two moving forward on a playoff team. So he's your starting two. Josh Akogi would be the other starter on the wing at this stage. Um, of course, all defense, um, good in transition on offense, but not very good in the half court, either putting the ball on the deck or shooting. Um, he is, however, a pretty good cutter, and there's still some upside there to his offensive game. He profiles as a really good backup, um, you know, kind of your your third or fourth wing where he can come in and, and play the defensive matchups and give you some points in transition. If he develops an outside shot, he could be a starter. Right now, he's kind of a de facto starter for the Timberwolves, but I think he's best cast as a backup on the wing. Jarrett Culver's the next guy. Um, you could start him over a Kogi, but I think he's best in a playmaking role off the bench alongside Jordan McLaughlin at the moment. I already talked about him a little bit in the point guard section. The other guys that ended the year on the Timberwolves roster that are wings aren't nearly as exciting. Beasley, Akogi, and Culver are the only ones that are really guaranteed roster spots next year. Jalen Noel was their second round pick. He played a little bit towards the end of the year. Didn't show as much as I think, um, you know, he played the played pretty well in the G League with Iowa. Um, and he was the Pac-12 player of the year a couple years ago um, with uh, with Washington. I think there's a good chance he makes this team and maybe is the fourth wing. I think he's got a better shot at being back than Keelan Martin, who was on a two-way deal last year and should be a three and D type player, but wasn't really able to show that. Um, last year at the uh, at the NBA level, so I'm not sure that he's realistic to come back next season. But he is an option, somebody who will be coming off of a two way deal and um, has the opportunity to leave. Also, uh, Jacob Evans the third was acquired in the trade from the Golden State Warriors. He's got. I think one more year left on his deal. Uh, he was a first round pick by the Warriors. He's all defense, no offense, and it's it's tough to see him earning any playing time next year unless there's massive injuries and they really believe in his defensive ability but he's much more of a fringy type uh you know G League player at this point in his career and I don't see him earning a significant role next year All right next up I want to hit on the power forward slash wings, the guys who could play the four, but also fill in at the three or the five and then get into the big man conversation as well. Before we do that, let's talk my bookie. Say it with me now. Sports are back, baby. I've been waiting for this day since March, and now that it's here, I've only got one thing on my mind, and that's my bookie. My bookie's a home run, slam dunk, triple overtime game winning shot, all wrapped up into one. I love it, you love it, and that should be all you need to hear in order to start betting today. My bookie has up to the minute odds on all your favorite teams, and with Major League Baseball not even quite two weeks underway, there's never been a better time to start playing. With my bookie, it's easy you bet, you win, and they pay. Feeling good about your team's chances this year? Be sure to check out MyBookie's World Series future bets. Nothing shows that you believe in your squad like betting on them before the season's more than 10, 15 games underway. But why stop with baseball? Smart bettors are always looking towards the future, and in this case, that means basketball, hockey, and football. MyBookie is already accepting bets on all your favorite NBA, NHL, and NFL games. There's never been a better time to start exploring the world of online sports betting. 
Join today and MyBookie will match your deposit 100%. Plus, they'll toss you a free $10 MLB future wager. All you got to do is enter promo code LOCKEDONNBA when signing up. That's promo code LOCKEDONNBA when signing up. Remember, at MyBookie, the terms are simple. You bet, you win, they pay. Okay, to finish up today's show, let's talk about the rest of the roster. So I classified a few guys here in this wing slash four or slash power forward category. Um, they're primarily fours, but they can also play alongside. A couple of these guys could play together. So for instance, the first guys I have listed are James Johnson and Jake Lehman. James Johnson has one year and 16 million left, assuming he picks up his player option for this year. It's possible he gets traded in a major move, some of which we've talked about over the past few days on this podcast before the season even starts. I think it's more likely he starts the year on the team as their primary backup big, and then perhaps is moved at the trade deadline, assuming the Wolves aren't being competitive for a playoff spot, or at least um, you know are beyond the fringes of the playoffs. Um, but James Johnson can guard threes. He's very switchable at the four. He played some five last year at the Timberwolves. His ideal spot is at the four. Jake Lehman is more of a three who the Wolves want to play at the four because of his cutting ability, his athleticism and transition. He's an average defender that's very switchable. And he also is a good three-point shooter, a decent three-point shooter. Um, so those are the two guys that are going to primarily play the four and could also pinch at the pinch it switch onto threes, I should say. And in Johnson's case, at least play the five. Juancho Hernan Gomez is kind of the de facto starter. If he comes back, he's a restricted free agent. He's pretty much only a four, which is one of the main reasons why I think there's a chance the Wolves move on from him. I think in a perfect world, he, a, a super version of Hernan Gomez is the perfect four for the Timberwolves. Somebody who's maybe, I mean, Hernan Gomez as a player, he's an above average three-point shooter. He's a pretty average defender. He doesn't really put the ball on the floor. He doesn't need it in his, in his hands very much. He's a lower usage type guy, but can hit a three when you need it. And it's tough to see much much more upside in his game. Um, and because he's he's switchable and that he can guard fives and threes on a switch, but but really he's only a four. Um, I, you know, he's a little bit more expendable for the wolves. If they truly believe that some combination of Lehman and Johnson, um, can play the four depending on how the draft shakes out. If they draft a guy like Obi Toppin, um, then you're looking at, you know, maybe you don't need Juancho Hernan Gomez. The other guy who falls in this category, um, I guess is maybe more of a four or five is Omari Spellman. He did not see any action for the Timberwolves was immediately sent to Iowa. He's had some success early on in his career in the NBA as a former first round pick, um, both in Atlanta and in Golden State. So I, I could certainly see him, you know, latching on um, with another team. I think it's it's more likely than not that the Timberwolves end up trading him um, because clearly there was something that happened after the introductory press conference. He never appeared in a game with Minnesota. There was never an explanation given. He also wasn't bought out or waived. So it's unclear what's going to happen with him. But he he's a guy who really is a four, um, can, can, you know, fill in, in, in a pinch at the five or at the three, but he's, you know, six, eight or so. Um, and he, he fits best as a stretch four. in terms of the, the big man spot, the center spot, Carl Anthony Towns is, is the guy, obviously behind him, you've got Nas Reed and Jared Vanderbilt. Nas Reed is, they're, they're actually very different players. I mean, Nas Reed is your offensive guy. He's a three point shooter. He's essentially a stretch five, a little bit undersized, kind of an average defender, very modest athleticism, but a good wingspan. Um, and so he's got to improve a little bit in terms of his awareness, his ability to defend without fouling. But offensively, he's a great fit for what the Wolves do. And it allows them to play five out or, you know, one in and four out 
both with the first unit and the second unit. Jared Vanderbilt, I have high hopes for as kind of a four or five, depending on matchups, he's your defender and rebounder with still some offensive upside remaining. I think he's got the upside to be, you know, somebody, his best case scenario is he could still be a starting four in this league and he would be a perfect fit next to Towns if he could expand his shooting range a little bit and stay healthy. Um, But he's a rebounder and a defender who would add an edge and a toughness to the Timberwolves that they haven't really had. Maybe it's even a a more athletic, talented, obviously younger version of James Johnson um, if the Wolves do move on from Johnson. But Vanderbilt to me was kind of the unsung, um, I guess heroes may be a strong word, but the unsung acquisition of the of the big trade with Denver and with Houston, the Wolves essentially swapped Kata Bates-Diop for Jared Vanderbilt. And Bates-Diop's a decent player now, but Vanderbilt, well unproven, has the upside to be a much better player than Kata Bates-Diop likely ever will be. He's like almost five years younger than KBD. Um, so that was kind of an under-the-radar move that the Wolves made to get him. And I look forward to seeing if they give him some opportunity moving into next year. This, I mean, this period with the Wolves bringing this full circle to our first segment, this is, this, this is the perfect time for Vanderbilt to be gelling with teammates for the Wolves to get a better sense of what he can do. And that makes it that much more frustrating. He's the perfect example of, it'd be really nice to get him on the court, see what he would look like next to Carl Anthony Towns in a, in a no pressure situation, see what he would look like, um, you know, in the wolves rotation, maybe coming off the bench as an energy guy alongside Jarrett Culver and Jordan McLaughlin and trying to just, just run, um, and see what he could contribute. And, uh, it's disappointing that we're not going to be able to see that, but hopefully he gets the opportunity next year in training camp in the preseason early in the regular season to potentially get a role on this team. Um, so that's the wolves roster as it sits now, Obviously, a lot can happen. A lot can change. A couple of these guys, Martin and McLaughlin, coming off two-way deals, are going to be restricted free agents alongside other restricted free agents, Malik Beasley and Juancho Hernan Gomez. So there's a little bit up in the air in terms of that. Johnson's got to pick up his player options still. Otherwise, the Wolves roster is pretty well set. And it'll be interesting to see if they make any moves um, once, once trades open back up here shortly. I guess not that shortly, but after after the conclusion of the Orlando bubble and um, obviously the draft in October as well. So uh, that's the over overview of the Wolves roster. Again, coming up here in, in the coming days and weeks, we're going to go maybe not every day, but we're going to sprinkle two, three, maybe four of these profiles, these capsules in per week to discuss each individual player, what their season looked like in 2019-20, what their outlook is for 2021. And, um, you know, if they're free agents, what could they get on the free agent market? If they're, what's their, what's the, what are the odds they get traded? Um, just kind of attack each of these players individually from a variety of angles. Um, and that'll be kind of one of the focuses here the next few weeks. All right. That's all we have for you today. Thanks once again for listening to the Locked On Wolves podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Remember, the Locked On Network is your local experts on the biggest stories. Subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google, wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at Locked on T-Wolves. That's at Locked on T-Wolves. Don't forget the T. Once again, I'm Ben Beacon. This is the Locked on Wolves podcast, and we'll catch you next time.